0: What's happening, everybody? Welcome into another episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. Make sure to go to SoundCloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand or search The Hangout in the Holy Land on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, leave a review, give us some feedback, tell us what we need to do better, and most importantly also, follow us on Twitter at landgrant thirty three. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, and it is Wednesday, October 4th, 2017, and we are back this week to preview Ohio State's sixth game of the season, a home game against the Maryland Terrapins, and to do that, I am joined by my buddy and my friend and a Maryland football expert, Matt Brown.
1: That's true. A a, a Prince George County resident, uh, Matt Brown. Deep, deep deep ties to the University of Maryland. Although, you know, (laughs) today we're talking normally, uh, we record from, I mean, we often record from my house and I live about a mile from campus and and, and go there occasionally. I'm actually catching up with you guys in Lincoln, Nebraska today. Um, And I'm happy to share all of my new, deeply found and and felt takes about the city of Lincoln and, and Nebraska in general later in the season. Once we talk about Nebraska, but let's let's, let's talk about my, my new adopted hometown team um, who I think are most responsible for letting the country know that Texas is back.
0: Matt, is Maryland football the fourth most talented team in the Big Ten? I feel like if we're going to kick this off, we might as well hot take it, but I was looking through the 24-7 sports composite and I was pretty shocked that they are ranked fourth overall in the Big Ten in terms of just raw recruiting in numbers talent oh my god you're actually right
1: <laughs> I, I, yeah this is
0: this is a real thing this I, is
1: real life shit man I, I didn't believe you and i just looked it up a second ago um ohio state obviously far and away number one the gap between ohio state and michigan that's the number two team is like nearly 100 recruit points it's it's quite significant um but yeah maryland is fourth by a nose they're just ahead of nebraska and a little bit ahead of michigan state it is pretty impressive there are 18 blue chip recruits on this roster um, including a, a five-star uh, Damian Prince, an offensive lineman. You've got some some real recruiting beef uh, along the lines that I, I think we'll see a little bit. And, and uh, I wasn't expecting to see Maryland improve by this much this this
0: year. But this might – forget My this is probably a bold team. I feel like Maryland is what Rutgers is trying to be. Like everything that Rutgers is trying to sell about – you know, being a top team in the Northeast and being around fruitful or um, what's the word I'm um, fertile recruiting yeah. grounds <laughs> and fruitful recruit recruiting grounds and having a high upside it, like they talk the talk, but Maryland is walking the walk right now. And they, they're actually improving. And, you know, the one thing that's going to put a ceiling on that is is playing in the big 10 East, of course, but just in terms of what they've been able to do in basically Little over a year in DJ Durkin's tenure, I, I think you can see the upside of the program as opposed to what happened when Randy Edsall was running it.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, I've actually thought about about this distinction a lot,
0: and I, I think if we're being fair, we,
1: we should point out there's a couple of important differences between these two situations. I mean, one, um, I think structurally Maryland football was probably ahead of where Rutgers was. You know, the, the three or four year run at the end of the Greg Schiano era notwithstanding. There, Maryland has a record of more fan support. They're good at a bunch of other sports. Rutgers historically hasn't, and there's uh, a tradition among other places in Maryland. Less so in PG County or right outside of DC, but other places in Maryland where people go, you know, who are or talented students within that state go to Maryland. Like New Jersey exports more college students generally, than I think anywhere else in the country. And Maryland, Maryland does this too, but but there is more of a pipeline. There's there's there are fans or in the uh, the western part of the state. There's fans around Baltimore that are, that are really plugged into Maryland football. So, and a short jog from campus, not far from my house, is Dematha Catholic, which is—I don't think it's an exaggeration—probably one of the five most talented high school football rosters perennially in the country. The lab that produced Chase Young. Yeah, and and Anthony McFarland and Terrence Davis and uh, Tino Ellis and, and a bunch of other blue chip guys. Like most people in their starting twenty-two. Are going to play Division One football, and Maryland has, tr- has struggled a little bit to get the best players from that school, and, and and they might, but you don't have to get the five star if you can get, the, you know, three of the three of the four stars that might be passed by Ohio State and Penn State. So it is impressive that they have accumulated a, a lot more talent, and and the place where I think they really needed to do that, and this was where Randy Edsel mentioned, um, was the biggest kind of rude awakening when they transitioned to the Big Ten was how much better they needed to be along the offensive line and along the defensive line. Because this is a division where teams are going to run the football and have very talented and deep pass rushes. And that's where I think Rutgers has really been overwhelmed over these past couple of seasons. We certainly saw that last weekend with the way Ohio State's defensive line dominated. And Maryland's line, I don't think is where it needs to be yet, but they have the personnel uh, and they're starting to get a little bit more experienced where they can be more competitive. Uh, and and we, we, we've seen that with the way that they've been able to run the football. We've seen that with the different looks they've been able to pull out the, the big, the, the number one question mark on the field, forget the recruiting and structural and financial stuff. And it seems to really determine how good Maryland can be has been quarterback play. And stop me. If you've heard this before, uh, Maryland is, is suffering from quite a bit of quarterback injuries right now.
0: Yeah. Whatever he hated Iowa running backs for that period of time in the late 2000s to early aughts has moved on to hating maryland quarterbacks
1: yeah they're, they're on their they're on their third stringer again um pig the the really i, I think exciting quarterback uh, who engineered most of the upset over texas towards acl in that game kasim hill then towards acl i think the next game so now you've got max bordenschlager which is an exceptionally big 10 name he's that, that that's a beer um, and uh, he's obviously more limited efficiency-wise than the other players. I think this was a low three-star recruit that ended up picking Maryland over Buffalo and maybe some low MAC offers, um, but did enough to, to, to beat a decent Minnesota team and uh, I think should be able to grow into the position more at the end of the year, enough to, to establish a long-term hold on the job. I don't know about that, and certainly it's going to hurt them a lot against Ohio State, but, um, but eventually, if you had to keep playing your third string quarterback, you're going to get to the point where you're going to have a lot of, of, of very experienced options, and then you're going to be able to to withstand some of these injuries a little bit better. I think everybody in Maryland's quarterback room to start the season was an underclassman, um, which makes them
0: especially vulnerable to injuries. Max Bordenschlager would have been the greatest left guard in Wisconsin history.
1: Oh, yeah. There's there's definitely a couple of Bordenschlagers who are like helping Wisconsin Stevens Point um, dominate Division Three. Um, and he's there's a, some Bordenschlagers and some YNCA League in, like, St. Paul that are just going to ruin dads for the, for the next 50 years. Um, I don't know what, what else what else about this team jumps out to you, other than the, the quarterback instability, and, and that's a matchup that I think Ohio State's going to be able to really win, because they've done a really good job of shutting down running games and, and forcing quarterbacks to be aggressive to to, have to, to really attack them. But Berlin runs the football pretty well, and um, and they, there are some real playmakers on, on this team. Ty Johnson is averaging a ridiculous 8.9 yards per carry. They're a really uh, explosive team running running the football. Um, and between that and DJ Moore and some of these other guys, you know, who are catching passes, there, there's some interesting speed and explosiveness on this offense.
0: Yeah, I, I would imagine that we're going to see a lot of – or something a lot similar to what we saw in the UNLV game with Lexington Thomas, where Ohio State, for the most part, I I was probably going to bottle up Ty Johnson you you look at Maryland's on a per play basis I don't think that they're the most efficient offense their offensive line hasn't been good in short yardage situations so I I don't think that they'll be opening up holes all game by any stretch of the imagination but just like we saw with Thomas and UNLV I think that there's going to be two or three runs where Johnson breaks off a big one he's just too explosive to keep him bottled in all game but if you're Maryland You better hope that that's early because this is one that's probably going to be like what we saw in the second quarter on against Rutgers where it'll get out of hand early or at least it won't be a close game for long. And, you know, Maryland's going to have to figure out how much they want to balance trying to get Ty Johnson and, and break him out on those big plays and how much they want to try and stay in the game against Ohio state's pass rush when they're down by 14 or 20 points.
1: Yeah, that there, there's a reason that we're looking at the advanced stats here. They're not projecting an especially close game. And, and this is a system that doesn't take into account the fact that Maryland's operating on with their third string quarterback, you know, I'm looking at the numbers right now They're projecting a score of around 42 to 16, They give Maryland just a 7% chance of winning. I think if you program the fact that they're starting a third stringer, charitably, I think it would be fair to say, it's probably a little bit lower than that. One, I I, want to ask you about something kind of along these lines because we're we're projecting another blowout here. And if we're being honest, um, Ohio State is going to be projected to beat Nebraska relatively handily the next week, too, even though that's going to be on the road. Um, Looking at it right now, it's probably going to be a line of, of at least two touchdowns. And I'm seeing some some fans kind of say, you know, kind of poo-poo everything that's happening right now with Ohio State's offense, which has been performing at a, a very high level the last three weeks. Like, hey, you know, these are bad teams. It doesn't matter. Uh, what what do we see for Penn State? Is is that a thought process that that you have right now, or is there anything that would happen against Maryland's that would change the way that you're thinking about Ohio State football right now? Like, at S&P Maryland is slightly worse than Indiana. If that, if
0: that helps. No, because I think that there's a, there there can be a balance of it. You can look at the box score from the game against Rutgers. And this is something Patrick and I talked about last episode. If you're interested to hear our thoughts about how the offense did. And I, I thought that a couple of the big plays they had really masked, some inefficiencies that popped up in the first half they had three three and outs and then they had another three and out to start the second half so by no means do I think that the Ohio State offense has upped itself with one of you know some of the best in the country but at the same time this is an offense that we were watching two years ago against Northern Illinois with a ton of NFL talent on it struggle to even score points and we've seen that the last two years in Fits and stretches too, so yeah, I, I get that, and, and I think it's fine to say, well, you know, they look like shit against Oklahoma, and yeah, they should look better against Army, UConn, and Rutgers, and that's fair, but. The fact that they're even looking the way they are, I think is a very good sign heading into playing better competition. I like that the way the schedule sets up too, because you go from a team like Army to UNLV to Rutgers to a Maryland team that's a little better than them to a Nebraska team that at least has some talent. And then you build up to that Penn State game. But you know, I, I think that the offense in a mix of running and passing and the way that they're working it in some of the the offensive philosophy with running those short crossing routes mixed in with what's finally looking to be a legitimate deep threat in johnny dixon i think it's the best that it's looked in at least over a year
1: i don't like telling
0: people how to fan i feel like that opens
1: up uh an uncomfortable
0: can of worms I'll, i'll do it if you won't if you're complaining about a 56 to nothing win or a 45 to 21 win like why are you watching? I, I I'll say that just straight up, like, and that's not me telling anybody how to fan. That's just for your own enjoyment. Like, if Ohio, when Ohio State beats Rutgers fifty six to nothing, and you complain, like, why don't you go do something else? Like, I get if you want to complain after the OU loss or you know another game where they look like shit, but like, there's only twelve of these games that are guaranteed a year. Like, try to enjoy it at least. Like, I think the people that complain about that. They just want to be miserable. I'm glad you said that. So I'll do it. I'll take the heat for that one. Yeah, you you
1: you you can get people hollering and everything, because I, I, I think you're right. Like I fully understand and appreciate that there we can only take a limited amount of data from bobbering a bad team. And while Maryland's much better, like we're looking at probably six and six kind of you know Dallas Bowl against a Conference USA kind of you know a, you know thing here. Maybe maybe finishing as a top 60 team. And Ohio State should beat that kind of team at home in the afternoon relatively comfortably. But if absolutely just waxing bad teams was easy, everybody would do it every week. You know, if, if it was easy, LSU wouldn't, wouldn't lose as a 21-point favorite last week. Or UNLV wouldn't lose as a 43-point favorite. Or, you know, Penn State wouldn't you know, fuck around with Iowa and nearly lose. Or, or you know, teams every, every week. Some team that is substantially better than their opponent, both Athletically and schematically, and you know administratively and financially, struggles. It is difficult to sustain consistency and excellence across twelve weeks with large variances in opponent quality when you're dealing with three balls. And uh, the fact is, outside of Oklahoma, I mean, of the of the other four games where Ohio State's played, they've performed on both sides of the ball really well. Uh, and that's you know, while, while, you know we shouldn't you know lionize the team for that necessarily. It's, it's it's it is an accomplishment that's not for nothing, and I don't know about you. I enjoy watching Ohio State beat teams 56 to. 90. If Ohio State beats Maryland
0: at 14 points, like you know that's that's, that's okay. But if they win, if they and they probably will win more, I will I will I will have fun. And it's okay to take the middle ground on this to say that, hey, Ohio State needs to continue to improve because if they have some of the first quarter struggles that they did against Rutgers or some of the first quarter struggles they did against Indiana or even Army and, and certain stretches against UNLV, then yeah, they they will have a tough time beating a team like Penn State. But the, the beauty of it is, is they don't play Penn State for another two-plus weeks. So they continue to work on, on the, some of the inefficiencies with the offense. And the fact that they're even – generating big plays at all regardless of how it is whether it's through Barrett throwing the ball 40 yards through the air Johnny Dixon or Benjamin Victor whoever coming down with it or if it's just Dixon taking a 10-yard pass and taking it to the house the fact that they're even generating those plays I think is progress in the first place from what we you know have seen in the past and I I think the other thing that kind of gets lost in this discussion of playing bad teams is how awesome the defense has been the past couple weeks. And that's without the corners and the secondary as a whole really rounding into form yet, because those guys are still so young and the linebackers haven't even played all that well. I think yet the defense and the defensive line is really carrying the team. And and I think that they, I mean, I, I have more confidence that by the end of the season, that's going to be a legitimate top three group. That's one of the best in the country and they can win with improved offense in a defense like that.
1: Ohio state's
0: defensive percentile performance over the last three weeks,
1: 96%, 92%, 98%. It's pretty damn good. Folks. That's good. Folks. Yep. They're the second best of fuel position team in the country. They're one of the very best. They're absolutely elite at uh, preventing opponents from finishing drives they are uh, one of the top 25 team in preventing explosive plays, which is saying something because they played against some teams that are actually pretty good at that, even some of the lousy teams. We'll get a good test here uh, against Maryland this week. So, yeah, continue things to, to be aware of and concerned about how Ohio State is going to uh, work out. You know, the split-up carries between two now healthy running backs that are providing different, different outlooks here, how Ohio State's defense is going to uh, manage now that they're, they're missing Draymond uh, Jones and a couple other players uh, for injury, and watching for the the, the continued consistency uh, of Ohio State's passing attack, which, by the way, and this is hilarious, leads the Big Ten in yardage right now. So those, those are, you know, we'll continue to monitor those things. This is a game Ohio State probably should win. What do you th- what would be your score prediction? I'm I'm not even sure what the line is at this point.
0: Um I I think probably along of what we predicted for the Rutgers game somewhere like 40 to 10, 40 to 17. I I think that Rutgers or Maryland, excuse me, their defense is good enough and I think DJ Durkin is smart enough to kind of scheme the way that other teams have to make JT Barrett be able to beat them early on before Ohio State's ground game really gets rolling, so we may see what we saw against Rutgers, where it's a bit of a slow start, but I think as the game goes on and they get comfortable, we'll see them start to generate those big plays through the air. J.K. Dobbins will probably be a little bit more involved, at least early on, than he was last week, but a lot of Mike Weber, J.K. Dobbins, something like 40-17, to to 40-10. That feels about right. Looks like the spread's 30. I like Ohio
1: State to cover it, and normally I'm really conservative about covering big spreads, but I think Maryland is going to struggle to score in the second half as the depth kind of overwhelms both both teams. You know, there's going to be some kind of busted explosive play that leads to a, a scoring drive here or two. But uh, I, you know, for all the reasons that we talked about, this 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 is a better team. They're playing at home. I'd go 45 to 13, so somewhere 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 in that neighborhood that allows the Buckeyes to pick up the big
0: win, move up in the analytics, and pick up the spread. It should feel pretty good. Real real quick here before we talk about some of the games around the country. Uh, just the other day, I realized that this, I mean, looking at the opponents, you know that the last four or five weeks have been the abyss of the Ohio State schedule. But just looking at it, all you need to know about what Ohio State's done the last month is that every game has either been on Fox or Fox Sports, and this one will be too. Yep, that's that. The 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 good stuff's coming later, but you know, Fox paid
1: a lot of money for this Big Ten deal, and they're going to put their most marketable team on there as much as they can.
0: And please don't at me and say, "Will the Ohio State Michigan games on Fox Sports too?" Like, yeah, I know, but it's just a matter of principle. Um, yep. Looking around the rest of the. The country. What are you uh, most excited for? Patrick Mayhorn and I talked earlier today on my podcast, which you can find on soundcloud.com slash two Straps pod or by searching the two Straps podcast on Apple podcasts. How this week and kind of the last couple of weeks have it doesn't feel like we've really, really jumped into the meat and potatoes of the season yet. And it's kind of more of the same this week, but there, there's some good games, but nothing that really jumps out at you.
1: I, I, yeah, I, I, th- I think I agree. We, we, don't, we haven't had the, the real depth of amazing matchups that we've had, you know, the first week or two of the season. But there are some good ones. There's a good Thursday night game. I try to avoid watching a lot of college football on Thursday and Friday night so I can afford to binge on and, and Saturday and Sunday. But uh, making time for Louisville at NC State uh, on, on at 8 o'clock on Thursday, I think, I think should be worth your time to Delmar- Jackson versus a very talented uh, NC State front. Uh, front. Well, you, this is, I, I think, critical for NC, NC, NC State to build a momentum of, of beating Florida State and establishing themselves as a, uh, a you know, probably not a contender for the ACC division title because they play with Clemson, but for a chance to kind of break through that perennial 7-5 and malaise that the, the program's kind of been suffering under for like a decade, which makes it easy for us not to not to think about them too much. The other, I think, potentially interesting one, assuming this, this still happens okay, is going to be Miami and Florida State. I don't have a good read on how good either of these teams are. Like, I, I feel like I don't know enough about my- They played this weird truncated schedule and Florida State has this great defense and obviously a ton of questions about their passing game. They're probably a little lucky to beat Wake. But what's always funny about this game is how Miami has just completely melted down after losing to Florida State in heartbreaking fashion for like five weeks afterwards. So is this the year that they finally break that skin? And if it's not what happens to them mentally over the next couple of weeks. Cause this, this is a, a top 15 team and one that's that if they're not the favorite to win the other side of the of the division to potentially face Clemson, they're right up there with Virginia tech. Um, so the aftermath of that game, I think is going to be up nationally.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of fun things going on in the ACC this week, that NC state Louisville game. I think whoever wins that game has pretty much firmly supplanted themselves as the second best team in the Atlantic this year, at least record wise with FSU struggling so much. And then just no matter what happens in the Florida state, Miami game, watching the internet burn is going to be fantastic on, you know, either side of the fan base. Cause like you said, if Miami loses again, like their fans are going to go ballistic given how FSU's look this season. And if Florida State loses, you know you hear them complaining about Jimbo Fisher and not being creative, and you know this kind of being the last couple of years they they've missed their chance. You know them going one and three is a real shocker. But other other than those two games, either Duke is going to be five and one or Virginia is going to be four and one. That um that's some heavy shit. And then. <laughs> Uh, TCU and West Virginia, I think, is going to be a very fun game, and this is a 13-point spread for TCU, and I think West Virginia is going to win outright. I'm going with the Mountaineers. You you want you want two other potential crazy upset candidates? Yeah, let, let's get them. Well, actually,
1: I I think there's three that are that are are, are worth noting, and they're all in the evening. So you've got Michigan State, Michigan. Um, your, your ABC game. Michigan, obviously, much more talented, has some major questions on offense. Michigan State, is I don't think, is very good, but has not been as bad as maybe we thought they were going to be coming into the season. And this is just a, a very weird, emotional game, and it's typically not in the evening. So this is going to be a very uh, well-served crap. It's John O'Korn's time to shine, that, that, that's, that that's right. We got, we, got, uh, we got the corn king coming in. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if this is like a a 20 to 17 game with six minutes left and, and people starting to sweat. And as, and as we've learned recently, uh, even, a, a punt could, could go the wrong, the wrong way and, <laughs> and decide things. Um, wazoo going to Oregon. Uh, the interesting thing about Washington state is I worry about, their consistency given that this is a team that's not nearly as explosive on offense as you would probably expect from a Mike Leach air raid Raid kind of program or even what Washington State's been the past couple of years. It's a much better squad because it's much more balanced. I think this is the best defense that they've had in a little while. Um, But it's going to be an interesting test to see how well they react now in a difficult road environment after an an enormous emotional win. uh, A chance to absolutely cement themselves as, you know, a clear number two team in the Pac-12 North and put them in a position to you know, really go after a Pac-12 title or more. They're going to have to win at Oregon. That's going to be hard. At Oregon it can score a lot of points. I kind of think Oregon's going to win. I, I, don't, I, I, wouldn't, I would not bet for multiple big wins week after week after for a team like Washington State. Yeah, and the other one, you know, I'm hearing a lot of from the locals here about this. I would not be totally shocked if Nebraska beat Wisconsin. I would be. Be very shocked. No. So so here here's why, right? Um, was Nebraska's defense is not very good. No, and their ability to not throw interceptions is not very good. No. Um, you you have the very unpopular athletic director is gone. The team actually played pretty well against Illinois. Afterwards, they're coming back. Uh, there's some the fans are trying to organize a blackout. You've got Dave Remington, this good guy now coming in as your athletic director. There's some interesting momentum and uh, you know are, are, are I think around the campus right now. And you still have a team that I don't think is bereft of offensive firepower. Wisconsin kind of messed around and, and hasn't looked super great uh, against Northwestern, against some of these other teams here. I, th- I think they're better. But in terms of talent disparity or explosiveness, or, or I don't think the gap is enormous. Like, I, I, I kind of see Nebraska as a, that, that's got one more baffling, terrible loss left in them. I think Ohio State would, would, would clobber them. I, you know, I am think they're going to win. I would not be surprised if they did. I think that's definitely possible.
0: Well, it, it certainly wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world for a ranked team to head into Lincoln at night in an environment like that and lose a game. The only pause I have for that is Tanner Lee has thrown nine interceptions in five games, and the Wisconsin defense has collected seven interceptions. Definitely turnovers, I think, or the lack of turnovers on their end will be something that decides it. And I like where you're at with uh, Washington State, Oregon. Justin Herbert, Oregon's QB, is out the next four to six weeks with a broken collarbone. Running back Royce Freeman's status is still up in the air as we're recording this. These are games that we haven't seen Washington State win. Not that they're not capable of winning games like this, but stringing back-to-back performances in big-time games, they haven't been able to do that on a consistent basis. And these are the games that they have to win if they want to take the next step. So I think that that's, that's the key to Washington State if they want to be uh, near the top of the Pac-12 at, at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, is this LSU-Florida game doing, uh, doing anything for you? I'm, I'm not. No circumstances. I'm I going to watch that unless
1: editor calls me up and demands that I do it. That, that, that's, that's rude is what it is.
0: And If you think Ohio State's offense is bad, um lsu is having a meeting or did have a meeting with their athletic director their head coach and both of their coordinators six weeks into the season i'm not going to claim to be a football expert on this podcast but i do know that that is not good it's bad actually and it's also bad
1: when you when that coach who just got dunked on by troy has a 12 million dollar buyout um despite the fact that there is no circumstances would he ever get a job anywhere close to this caliber anywhere else so great negotiating if you're interested in learning a little bit more about that, ESPN.com actually published a, a good read on why some coaches who definitely should not be getting enormous buyouts got enormous buyouts, and that puts schools like Tennessee and Notre Dame and LSU in, in kind of difficult positions at this point when they might like to move on, but they can't.
0: Anything else tickle your fancy for this week as we wrap up here?
1: You know, I, I think, you know, There's there's going to be some more interesting Pac-12 games that are on really late at night, and it sucks that uh, some really interesting teams like Utah and Stanford and Washington and and even San Diego State have kind of top 25 team that I feel like I've actually watched in entirety once over the last two years uh, because this all goes on past my bedtime. So this might be a good week to take a a little bit of a nap on the noon slate. I, I think those games are more underwhelming you can stay
0: up in time to watch some fun games at night. Agreed. And uh, Matt, where can the people find you on Twitter and your work on the internet? So you can find me, Matt SBN.
1: Uh, I write for land grant. I write for SB I write across the network as we speak. I'm actually going to write a post on coronation.com about women's volleyball uh, before I, I fly back here out of Nebraska. You can also pick up a copy of my book. What if a closer look at college Football's great questions on the great you know, What If Scenarios College Football History, that's on Amazon and Kindle. If you buy a copy of the book before this Sunday, I am donating 100% of the profits to Puerto Rican hurricane relief charities. It looks like we've raised about $100 here so far as of Wednesday afternoon. If you've been on the fence about picking up a copy of the book, now may not be a bad time to do it.
0: Yeah, do it. It's a great book. and. For right now, it's a fantastic cause to help our friends out in Puerto Rico who are trying to get back up on their feet after the devastating hurricane out there. So support Matt. Support the people of Puerto Rico. Support humanity and buy Matt's book because it's an excellent read. You can also support this podcast by going to soundcloud.com slash land grant holy land or subscribe to it by going on to apple Podcasts and searching the hangout in the holy land find this show and all of the other shows that we record for land grant holy land there you can also send me a tweet and you know tell me how shitty your take is and how upset you are about ohio state winning fifty to nothing that's okay i'll clap back at you on twitter i don't care i don't care at all you can send me those tweets you can also send me tweets about how you like the show those are more preferable but You can reach me on Twitter at dubsco and make sure to follow along with me and all other Ohio State news and everything going on with the show. Also follow us on Twitter at LandGrant33. That's going to wrap up the show for today. We want to thank you guys for listening. For Matt Brown, I'm Colton Denning. The spot was good and go Bucks!